Good morning, Connect Church. Would you stand with me this morning as we get ready for worship? And it is a good morning. Not always because our circumstances are good or because the people in life have been good to us, but because God is good. And God has been good to us and to this world. That's what we're going to be singing a lot about this morning. About the goodness of a God that is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. There's a beautiful part about His goodness. In that goodness is a proactive, moving force. It's not lazy, it's not hesitant, it doesn't delay. It is always moving, and it's moving towards humanity. It's moving towards us. The bittersweet part of that is that oftentimes humanity does not move back towards God. And for a while, throughout the Old Testament, we know that it wasn't exactly the easiest to do that all of the time. But the beautiful part of living in a New Testament world is that God, is that Jesus made a pursuit mutual if we choose it. So that's the choice I am laying before all of us today as we worship. Are we going to make God run a marathon to reach us? Or are we going to pursue Him mutually? Are we going to bring Him praise for all that He has already done and proven Himself to be in our lives and throughout history? Or will we stay stagnant? I know everyone on this stage today is choosing to move towards God, to draw deeper and nearer and more intimately in love with Him. And we know that it's hard and that it requires sacrifice and time and effort and love and the risks that come with all of that. But it is good. And there are so few good things left in this world. So I urge you to pursue what is and who is good with us all this morning. So let's pray as we get into worship. God, you and you alone are good and holy, noble and worthy and true. It is you we will pursue, you and you alone, God. God, I pray against every idol that would come up, God, that is not good but looks good, God. May it lose its luster in our sight, God. May everything that draws our eye and our hearts away from you, God, be shattered. May our focus, our gaze, our love, our adoration, our praise belong to you and to you alone. And may we always remember, even in the darkest night, even in the fires, the storms, the floods, God, how good you are, that you wish to reveal yourself as good, good to this world, good to us, good to a people that have very, very seldom been ever even remotely close to good to you. We thank you for showing us what goodness looks like, how it sounds like, how it feels like, how it acts in every circumstance, God. And we pray that we may learn to reflect you, God, and be good back to a good God this morning. It is your holy and almighty name that we pray. Amen. All right, church, let's worship together, believing in the truth of his goodness. On the God of Jacob, whose love endures through generations, 
I know that you will keep your covenant. I'm calling on the God of Moses, the one who opened up the ocean. I need you now to do the same thing for me. And I know you will. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh rock, oh rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness. On your faithfulness that has always existed. Calling on the God of Mary, whose favor rests upon the lowly. I know with you all things are possible. I'm calling on the God of David, who made a shepherd boy. I may not face Goliath, but I've got my own giant. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How oh, I need you now. Oh, oh rock, oh rock of ages, I'm standing on your on your faithfulness Oh God, my God, I need you Oh God, my God, I need you now Oh how I need you now Oh rock, oh rock of ages I'm standing on your faithfulness
more that we can we can say we need you lord you do not judge you only love you want us to need you you want us to want you so now we choose to pursue you out and touch if we touch the hem of his garment just as willing to heal if we touch the hem the hem of his garment I'm calling on the Holy Spirit Almighty River come fill me Faithful 
all my life you have been so so good with every breath that i am able i will say all the good things to Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Thousands of years, he said everything to you and all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so so good with every breath that I am able. I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. You always have, Lord. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able. I will sing of the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. And you are good, you're good. Oh, yes, you are good, you're good. Oh, Let me die. You're never gonna let. You're never gonna let me die. 
goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. He's worthy, he's worthy, he's worthy, he's worthy. He's worthy. Hey, we're going to just, we're just going to sing that in just again, just for a second. But, but I, I want us to grab a hold of something this morning. See, those words can be deceiving. Because it's like, it's easy for some of us to feel like, well, my whole life hasn't been good. There's been lots of things that have happened. And how can I say that the goodness of God, how can I say he's been good to me all these years? Because there's people in this room who've been abused but are still praising him. That have been addicted and are still praising him. Who have lost loved ones and are still praising him. That have been down and out and impoverished and are still praising him. If you are still standing today, you are standing in the goodness of God in the land of the living. If you've got breath, you should. Woo! The word of God says, his goodness, what we sang, his goodness and mercy follows me. But that word in Hebrew doesn't mean follow. It means it hunts me down. It's, it's like he's stalking me, the goodness of God. How many of us know sometimes God's goodness doesn't feel good? It doesn't look, oh, oh, anybody, anybody can say, ah, like I, anybody have anguish in their soul? Anyone know what it's like to be so dark and so desperate and so down that all you've got left is to be on your face to cry out, Jesus, that's all you got? Oh, but by the whisper of his name, he shows up. He works all things together. I can't figure it out sometimes, man. I don't know. All I know is he's good. All I know is I'm still standing. All I know is I still got breath in my lungs. And if we have breath, then we get to praise him. So I want you to lift up your hearts. I want you to lift up your hands. I want you to sing it from that bottom of your heart. Our God is good. Our God is good. Our God is good. Our God is good, our God is good, our God is good. So all my life. And all my life you have been faithful. Mm, Jesus. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing. Of the goodness of God all my life cause all my life you have been faithful and all my life you have been so so good with every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God, I will sing. Yes, I will sing of the goodness of God. Yes, I will sing of the goodness of God. Hallelujah, Jesus, thank you for being faithful. 
thank you for sealing the promise. Thank you that every promise in you is already yes and amen. Not because we bought it, not because we're good enough, but because you paid the price on Calvary. You moved the stone out of the way. You rose again, and today we stand in the authority of the the resurrected King. Jesus, come and move. We prayed this morning, Holy Spirit, pour out your spirit in this place like a river. We proclaim that you were a healer then, you're a healer now, so we proclaim healing in this room. We said you were a provider then, you're a provider now, so we proclaim provision, breakthrough, health, wholeness, peace, hope. We speak hope. There's hope in the world. There's hope in the world. His name is Jesus. We don't serve a philosophy or an ideology. We serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. We ain't trying to get to Him. He came to us. Hallelujah. Daddy, we bow down. We said, we, we sang it. We prayed it in song today. We prayed it in song. We surrender all to you. We surrender all. With all my life, I surrender now. I give you everything. My worry, my doubt, my dreams, my kids, my family, my future, my today, my tomorrow, the guilt of my past, the shame of my yesterday. I give you everything. Because I know that your goodness and faithfulness are hunting me down in the land of the living. And we're going to praise you for it in Jesus' name. And together we say amen and amen. Come on, let's give God some glory because he is a faithful God. He's not a man that he should lie. Hallelujah. Woo! Oh! Anybody else glad that my God is not a man that he should lie? He is faithful and true. You know what I love? I love that some of my friends have tattoos and what's awesome about a tattoo is it never goes away. What it's doing is it's a, it's a uh, it's a, uh, a memorial. It's like a time capsule of what you are thinking about in that moment. About how you saw yourself in that moment. So you tattoo it on yourself so that no matter how long and how old you get, it's still there. Do you know that the Bible says that Jesus is tattooed? It says he is faithful and true. Those names are written. He is king of kings. They are written on him. Because no matter how long we get from the resurrection until he comes again, he will always be faithful. He'll always be true. Church, I'm so glad you're here this morning. Thank you for being faithful this morning. Thank you for coming and being a part of church, being a part of a community that's believing that Jesus is here, believing we get to honor him and worship today. What a great God we serve. Man, it's so beautiful. Anybody else thinking it's not raining today? Thank thank Jesus. I don't know about you, but I was about a half a day away from moving. So good to have you. Hey, I want to give a shout out to my to my boy Primrod over here. He just got his doctorate this week. Man, I'm so proud of you, buddy. So proud of you. What a man, what a journey you've taken. What a journey. Amazing. 
And I, I believe it. And you know, you know, I believe it. You know, Pastor Danielle believes this. We, we've been with you in this journey. And we believe. I know the Bible says the best is yet to come. But I believe that. I believe that you're about to step into new horizons. That God is about to do a new thing in you. That, that, that there's springs growing up in the desert. That, that there's going to be breakthroughs in areas that people haven't seen breakthroughs before. Because the favor of God rests upon you. You haven't just been given a gift of knowledge, a gift of intelligence. You've been given a gift of position. The favor of God rests on you. Now it's a matter of whether you want to use it or not. And if you can surrender your life, get out of the way, and allow Him to shine, bro, there's nothing that can't be done. There's nothing. So I'm proud of you, man. I really am proud of you well I'm thankful for our guests as well if you're a guest today thank you for coming and being a part of it thank you for coming to be a part of church and we'd love to know your story and let you know our story there's going to be a QR code up on the screens and around they'll take you to a link tree you can let us know you're here find out more about us there's link tree links all the way around this place but one thing I love is generations I am so thankful Pastor Lisa, I'm so thankful for you and Kevin. You will never know how much I care about generations. And that's why God puts the most faithful people there. That's so faithful. Thank you. Thank you for reaching into those kids' lives and pouring into not just children, but family. I don't know about you. When I was little, we were down in the church basement, right? Anybody? Church ba- Concrete walls, flannel board, Jesus. Smelled like mildew, right? I had like someone's great grandma teaching me. And I love, anybody thankful for great grandma's teaching? It's awesome. But I am thankful that you pour resource and prayer and faith, not only into kids, but into families. Families. Our God is a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Generational God. Well, kiddos, you can head out with Pastor Lisa and Kevin. Follow the sign on out. Give them a hand, church, as they're going. Find somebody you didn't come to church with. Give them a high five. Tom, it's really good to see them today. As you're being seated, we love you guys. Had to give me a little dap before I started preaching. Get a little anointing from the front row. <laughs> you graduated because it was like usually the third row, not the front row. You're moving on up. I like this. That's right. It's comfortable in the back rows. It used to be people wouldn't sit in the front row because you're going to be seen on TV. But now you can't be seen on TV because we changed the camera angles. So there's no excuse to sit in the back. Just saying. There we go. Hey, I just have two things really quickly before we hop in the Word, because I'm excited about the Word today. It's a little different, but I'm excited about it. Um, But I want to really encourage you with two things. Today, many of you know we have a ministry called Thy Kingdom Crumb, which is our mobile food truck ministry. We take food every week out into our community and feed people for free. It is completely free. Uh, And it's just because we want to, we see food as a means to bring the gospel to people. So it's not a way to get rid of food insecurity. We can't do that. We want to be a part of someone's food insecurity. But that's really not even the purpose. The purpose is to use food in a way to share the love of God with people. And so in order to do that, though, how many of you know we need 
We need, there you go. Solomon says money's the answer for everything. And I know that's not in the Bible. Yes, it is. Because Solomon was smart. It's hard to feed people without money, clothe people without money. So we're doing a silent auction uh, starting today. There's tons of great prizes or, or giveaways or whatever. They're not either of those things, whatever they're called. Items uh, that are up there. Go check it out. Here's the three ways that you can help support us. You can be praying. You can be giving. And you can be bringing attention to it. Our greatest problem many times is not, not having great items. It's not having the audience that can actually make a difference with those, with those items. I was talking to a good friend this morning about a big item that he, that he wants to give into the auction. And I was saying, man, uh, I'm just hoping, I'm believing that for uh, an audience, a base that will be able to, to respond to that kind of gift. Because what he's doing is amazing. So if you could just be a part of that, it's going to be so much fun. Uh, lots of great stuff's going to be there. The second thing is this. Anyone else watch the coronation yesterday? Anyone? Anyone? Well, first of all, anyone actually get up and watch it? Did you really? You are a better person than me. I just say right now, I live in a house that was actually built while we were still British colony. I put it on DVR. I watched it later on. But we saw something we hadn't seen in 70 years, right? We saw the coronation of a king, King Charles III in Westminster Abbey, which was awesome, which is just a moment where the country, the people in the country get to take a moment to submit, willingly submit their lives to a king. And they, what do they shout all the time? Long live the king! It was really cool. This pomp and circumstance was brilliant and beautiful. But I want to really tie that together and invite you to think about it in this way. That's what we do when we get baptized. We are actually saying in front of an entire crowd that we are willingly submitting our life to the king. Not just to the Savior and accepting grace, but actually submitting ourselves to the king. We are dying with him, and then we are being resurrected with him. And we are standing up and saying, King, long live forever in my life. I'm submitting myself to you. And it's a beautiful thing when we get to do it in community. If you watched yesterday, there was so much joy. People were standing out for days just to see. They, wanted, they couldn't even see, and they were standing out there because it was this exciting moment. That's what baptism is in church. And so in two weeks, in, in, in May 21st, we're having another baptism service here during service. Uh, if you have never been baptized, uh, come, out, come on out, be baptized. Uh, let us know, hop on the link tree, sign up. If you are baptized as a child following your parents' faith, good on you. We celebrate your parents, but we want to celebrate your faith with you. There's something about and maybe I've had this question a thousand times, more than that. Kyle, is it good? I got baptized before. Can I be baptized again? Yes. The Bible doesn't say you can't. Anytime that you feel like you are ready to say, I'm all in for Jesus, no strings attached, I'm all in, I'm submitting my life, there's a moment, there's something that happens in the moment of baptism that is spiritually powerful. It breaks chains because you are willingly saying, enemy, I'm dying here and you have no power. And Jesus, when I come up, I'm all in. And whenever you seek the kingdom first, things you never thought possible become possible. So I want to encourage you. May 21st, sign up for that. It's going to be awesome. It'll be right here during service. We're going to have a great time. Anyway, how many, how many of you have been for a baptism? We have the best baptism. So much fun. So just be here. All right, are you guys ready for the word today? I know, look, we, you got worshiped up, we got prayed up, and then I had to do some housekeeping. I know, never fun. But that's life together. That's life together. That's what we do.
So if you're ready for the word, since you have your Bibles, why don't you open with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15. Luke is the third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's written by Luke, the disciple, follower of Jesus. He's a doctor. He's an amazing historian. And we've been talking over the last couple weeks about God's clarion call really for the bride to wake up, for us, especially in the American church, to really begin to stir and to wake Uh, as men and women, not just as an institution, but as men and women of God. And what can happen when we don't push snooze? What can happen when we get stirred up for the things of God in our lives, when we wake up? Now, this means a lot to me today because my dog, was re- my puppy, has been really sick for the last two days. So th- these words are really blurry right now. I was, they're blurry. So I'm going to need some feedback. I'm going to need some amens today. I'm going to need somebody to shout. I might need somebody to get up, run around. I'm going to need, I need some help today. It was like 2, 4, 5, 15. Hallelujah. If you need a title for today's message, just so you got one, it's Seeking is the New Sitting. Seeking is the New Sitting. Now, I'm in, I'm in my 50s now, and so I hear people say all the time that 50s is the new 40s. And when I was in my 40s, it was 40s is the new 30s, and wearing color is now the new black. And i got to be honest, I don't know about any of that stuff. But what they're trying to do, and they're attempting to do in our culture, is to switch our mindsets about concepts that have been ingrained inside of us for so long. And, and one of the things that's been ingrained in, the, in modern Christianity, and I would say especially in the American church, is that church life is passive. It's about sitting and receiving. And in so doing, but here's the trap, in so doing we so often miss the beautiful things of God that we can discover about who he is, about how our lives can be lived to praise him, about how we can discover our purpose and our meaning and the joy in our life, and not simply about being inspired or encouraged on a Sunday morning. I hope the Sunday mornings encourage us. I hope they inspire us. But that is the basement living of Christianity. That's just ground floor. What God is trying to get us to do is to become stirred. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7, Seek and you shall find. Seek and you shall find. So a defining characteristic of a bride, a church, a man or woman of faith who is awake is one that is seeking and not sitting. All right, before we even go, where are we? How have we already started to identify ourselves in this moment? When it comes to church, when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to our walk, are we about receiving or are we about seeking? Because in this text, we're going to look at a parable we mentioned last week. As we build line upon line, precept upon precept. We've, we see a big picture. If you, if you didn't get a chance to, to, to listen to last week's message, I encourage you to do it. It helps to build and see the big picture. But we mentioned this parable when we were talking about Jesus, talking about the wedding stages of the bride. And this parable is about a woman or a bride who loses a coin that was given to her. But her response, it is her response that Jesus looks at. Not how, not how she lost it, not why she lost it. He's not even upset that she lost it. Because let's be honest, we lose things. 
As men and women of God, we lose passion, we lose confidence, we lose faith, we lose assurance, we lose, we leak. We are broken vessels that leak. So we naturally lose things. So Jesus isn't even upset. He's not focusing on the fact that she loses something. He's focused on how she responds once she realizes it, that it's lost. Does she sit and just say, I guess it's gone? Or does she seek after it? And I think, church, that's the question that remains for you and I this morning as well. When we realize there's something in Jesus that he's given to us, that he's instilled in us, that his fruit should be producing in us, that his gifts should be releasing in us, that maybe we've misplaced. Maybe, maybe through complacency or, or, or just confusion or, or, or maybe through uh, the, the amount of time that we don't give it, we've misplaced, we've mishandled, and we've lost it. How do we respond? Do we sit down or do we seek after it? Is our relationship with Jesus based on sitting or seeking? Now, before we hop into this parable, I just want to put it into context so that we understand the big picture of what uh, this is all about. Because this parable is part of three parables, the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son. And, and just for context, these parables will reveal how much God loves us. Because he's the great shepherd, right? And he leaves the 99 to come and chase after the one. Why? Is it because he doesn't care about the 99? No, because he knows that it's in the nature of the sheep to wander. The sheep's not being bad. He's not horrible. It's just who he is. That's why the word says you and I are like sheep. We've gone astray. It's in our nature to wander away from the things of God. But how good is our God that Jesus left heaven, he left the 99, to come and follow and find just you or I, the one, because it's in our nature. In, 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 the, in the lost coin, the woman searches all over for it because she misplaced it. Somewhere along the way, she dropped the ball. Have you ever felt like you've dropped the ball in a calling? Drop the ball on a gifting that God gave you? Drop the ball on maybe some of the, the vision of God that he's laid out before you? How many of us can say, man, I know that God has said, or I know that God has done, and, and I'm waiting, and I've done, and I'm not sure. And I, she misplaced it. She dropped the ball. But there's a desire inside of her to go get it. But then there's the story of the prodigal son that willingly and rebelliously walks away and what's interesting is that the father does not chase him, but waits patiently, lovingly, compassionately, day by day, waiting and watching. And it's not because he doesn't love his son. It's because he understands and values what relationship is. And he values his son's choice to have one with him or not to have one with him. And so he waits. So many of us know the end of that story, don't we? The son ends up in a pigsty, he's hungry, he's dirty, he's got nothing left, and he decides to go back to his father's house, he decides to repent, to turn around, to live in a different way than, he, that, than what got him there. And the Bible says, when, he see, when, when the father sees him from a long way off, coming back to the house, he runs to him. He embraces him. He brings him into the house. He clothes him. He feeds him. He restores him. But he doesn't chase after him. 
because it's not because he doesn't care. It's because he understands the value of love. And that love requires a choice. And unfortunately, many of us are treating our prodigal children, our prodigal sons and daughters, whether that's in the physical or the spiritual, as if they are lost sheep. And we're chasing after them and chasing after them and chasing after them. And unfortunately, we end up in the pigsty with them rather than them in the house with us. That's a sermon for a different day. Come on. It's not all the same, same here. But this parable also deals with another truth for us as the bride. How do we respond when the gifts of God that he's placed inside of us are mishandled? By us. Hey, pastors mishandle church all the time. I know I have. Preachers can mishandle the word. Happens all the time. But they're not the only ones who mishandle the gifts of God. We all have been given gifts. How do we handle them? Luke 15, verse 8 says this, Or what woman or bride, having ten silver coins, remember, that is her mohir, her bride's price, that she would wear around her head as a headpiece, as the original uh, uh, engagement ring. If she loses, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and what? Seek diligently. You should underline that. Until she finds it. And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Uh, what I love is she recognizes two things. She mishandled it and that she needs to find it. It's worth finding. And I think, my friends, the first thing that we need to understand is the thing that motivates us to seek or to sit is the value we place on what is lost. What motivates you and I to sit or to seek it is the value we place on what is lost. What made the coin valuable? How do we even determine what value looks like? Do we determine it by what it's made out of, whether it's made of gold or silver or bronze or, or copper? But what if it's just made out of tin? Is it still valuable? In some ways, you and I, the value to us of an object is often determined by how much of it we already have of it. Because many times, you and I, as men and women of faith, come to things, the gifts of God, the, 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 the word, the promises, as if we're the rich young ruler. We've got plenty. So the loss of one little coin isn't a big deal. Because I've got nine others. I've got so much abundance of prosperity, so much abundance of assurance, so much abundance of... I don't need anything else. I'm good. We're thinking, I've got enough. I'm pretty good just the way that I am. It's no big deal. That's what happens in Matthew 19 when the rich young ruler comes. And then he says he walks away because he has plenty. But... If you and I identify as the widow in Luke 21 who only has two mites, even the loss of a coin that's tin is devastating to you and I. If we are humble enough to realize the poverty of our own soul, the poverty of our own giftedness apart from Jesus, the poverty of our own inability apart from the Spirit of God making the impossible possible, we can come then like the widow who says, man, even the loss of the littlest thing that God has given me is a, is a tragedy and devastating. 
But I think the reality is maybe the more that we have built our lives, and we're taught this in America, it's ingrained in us in America, to build our lives on our own reliance, our own successes, our own achievements, then it's easier to devalue the coin when it's missing. But the truth is the real value of the coin is neither determined by what it's made out of nor based on the percentage of the wealth it means to you and I, that we have of it. The real value of the coin is that it was given by the groom. The real value of the coin in your life is that it was given to you by him. What if I was to tell you that this wooden spoon has a story? That, 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 that it was grandma, grand, uh, Danielle's great-grandmother who brought it over with her, with her little meager stuff when she came from Aquapendente in Italy. And she tucked it in her little bits and she brought it over and she passed it down from generation to generation. How many, how many meatballs and gravy did this thing make? How, how, how many dinner tables did this create joy around? How, how many great conversations did I have? How precious is this spoon to Danielle? And what if I broke it? What's the big deal? It's just a wooden spoon. I can get one for $3 on Amazon. The reason you gasped it's not because a spoon was broken. You gasp because the story it was connected to. Who gave it? The journey it took, the price that was paid to bring it from one generation to another generation to another generation to another generation to feed people, to bless people, to create community, to release joy. You knew how much it would mean to Danielle. Now, because I don't want my Italian grandmothers to send any People who sell luggage after me. That was not the real wooden spoon. <laughs> but that gasp you felt should be the, oh, man, I broke something that was God's. Oh, man. Oh, how precious is what he gave me. You didn't even know Danielle's great-grandmother, and it stirred something in you. How much more because you know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords should it stir in you? See, the truth is, my friends, the value of the coin matters. If it's my coin, then whether I look for it or not is dependent on a lot of factors. But if it's my groom's coin, but if it's my king's coin, if it's my great-grandmother's spoon, the onus I place on discovering it, on stewarding it, takes on a whole different meaning. There's this beautiful moment in John chapter 19 where Jesus is on the cross and he's dying. And he turns to John the disciple and he says, John, right there, the woman next to you, that's your mother now. It was my mom, now it's your mom. Now, can I just say something to you? I'm sure that probably was not in John's plans for his future. Like when John laid down and kind of mapped out and dreamt about his future, I'm sure it was not taking care of someone else's mama. But his king had given something valuable to him, valuable to himself. And so it became valuable to John. And it wasn't just valuable to John. He took it into his house. He took possession of it. 
He took stewardship of it. He actually nurtured it and cared for it. He put action behind the value. The gift became valuable because of its attachment to Jesus. Come on, if we can speak in tongues, it's not valuable because we can do it. It's valuable because it's attached to Jesus. If we can preach or sing or prophesy, it's not valuable because we can simply do it. It's because it's attached to Jesus. If we can love somebody that's hard to love, if we can show mercy and grace beyond measure, if we can forgive the unforgivable, it's not because we have done it. It's valuable because it's attached to Jesus. I think the issue is, if we're honest, we were talking this week as a group of pastors about the trap found in Christianity, especially Christianity in America and maybe in the Northeast. And this trap is this, that we have focused Christianity on this one statement, my walk with Jesus. Tell me what Christianity is. It's about my walk with Jesus. My walk with Jesus. It's just me and Jesus, my walk with Jesus. And on one hand, can I just say that's a beautiful thing? Because there's so many of us that came out of religion, that came out of trying to do good works to get God's attention, trying to, to, to break free from a culture of can't, shouldn't, don't. So it's refreshing to be reminded of what Jesus did for you and I to provide a way so that you and I could have a real relationship in a real way every day. Like that's awesomely refreshing. However, it's also just like the enemy to help twist the word of God slightly just like he did with Eve in the original sin, to get it out of whack a little bit and put the attention back on us, to move the bullseye almost unperceivably to where we become the center of the focus. My walk with Jesus. Which pronoun comes first? My, me, I. And this brings us the sense of satisfaction so that it's easy to sit without any need to seek. Because after all, whatever is missing in my life, Jesus will bring me with my walk with Jesus. I don't need to seek anything. I can sit. He'll bring it to me. What a great servant God we have. But let's take a moment, can we? And ask the question. What would discipleship what would Christianity, what would our spiritual life look like if we simply, if it wasn't simply about my walk with Jesus, but about Jesus' walk with me? What would our focus and priorities be if we reversed the pronouns? Instead of my walk with Jesus, Jesus' walk with me. What is Christianity about? Jesus' walk with me. See, here's the truth. Our walk with Jesus is about freedom. Freedom. Freedom from the useless effort to try to be good enough, to try to make our way to God. Freedom from death and sin and hell. That's what Galatians 5.1 says. It is for freedom that Jesus came to set us free. That's a good thing. His first sermon, he preaches, unrolls the scroll, says, I want to let you know that I've come to give freedom to the captives. Like Jesus is all about our freedom. He's not hating our freedom. It's, why, it's part of why he came. It's incredible. You and I are free to be who we were never able to be before, holy and accepted and forgiven, children of God, right? Adopted by the Father, filled by his Spirit, blessed by his favor. The problem is we find ourselves focused only on that. So we find ourselves in this place because what you focus on, you give power to. 
So we're focusing on how Jesus blesses my life. So we focus on grace and the forgiveness we've received. And about the ability to talk and walk freely with God in a real relationship. And we get focused on an abundant life and on being blessed and on blessing and what he brings to me. Now, come on, these things are true. But maybe they've been overpriced. Can I just suggest? Just suggest I'm just suggesting. Maybe in America, they've been, we've, they've been overprioritized by our soul. By our own needs, our own insecurity, our own need to stay in control. Because where my walk with Jesus is focused on freedom, Jesus' walk with me is focused about the kingdom. The kingdom. It's why he says things like this. Uh, if you love me, you'll obey my truth. Uh, he's saying, uh, my word is not up for discussion. It's uh, the priority of how we actually live out our lives. He said, look, if, if, if you're going to be my disciple, people will know it when you prioritize other people by loving on them. He says, I want you to know my kingdom, if you're really about me, you'll seek my kingdom above everything else, no caveat included. See, his walk with us is about prioritizing his kingdom and making it real in this world. Just as Jesus' focus while on the earth was loving people and destroying the work of the devil, isn't that what 1 John 3.8 says? It says Jesus rolled up to destroy the work of the devil. If it was his purpose on earth, then it's his bride's purpose on earth, and it's part of the purpose of the coin that he gave you. Last week we talked about it's not just about presenting the church to the world that matters, but it's also how we present the church to her groom that matters. The question I think we have to wrestle with is how do we respond to the coin Jesus has given to us when we mishandle it? Because the coin he has given to us is really found, I think, in three forms. The time he gave us on this earth, the people he gave us to be around us in our world, and his gifts and his spirit that he's placed in our lives. So have we even recognized the true value of the things in our lives that are missing, that are lost? Has it begun to be determined by the abundance of what you and I have left rather than the tragedy of what we have lost? The danger, my friends, if we continue down this road as men and women of faith, as a bride, as a groom, as what God's called us to be, is that we're going to wake up one day like Samson. Do you remember the story in Judges 16? The Bible says in verse 20 that Samson woke up and he thought he was going to throw off the enemy like he always had done before. He thought he was going to throw him off like he had done before, but he didn't notice something was missing. He didn't notice that he had gone to the barber shop in the middle of his nap, right? He didn't know he fell asleep when he went to the salon and didn't know they cut off all his dew, right? It's gone. So when he woke up, here's the issue. He didn't take inventory of what was missing. That's such a, sh a challenge for you and I because in this wake-up call of God, it's not just waking up, it's taking inventory of what is missing. What is missing in our time that he gave us? What is missing in the lives of people around us that he's placed in our world? What, what is missing in discovering the beauty of his gifts and his presence that he's placed in our lives? Are we sitting or seeking what we have misplaced? 
Because, my friends, I love the attitude of this woman in this parable. Because the word says she searched diligently for the coin. How? That's what we should be asking. How? Because if we realize that, like her, we've dropped the coin, it would be really be good to know how to find it. I don't know about you. I don't want to just know there's something missing in my life. I want, to, I want someone to help me walk this thing out. That's what we try to do. What's the first thing she did? How did she find what was missing in her life? She lit a lamp. The, 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 light, a light, the light of God always symbolizes the Holy Spirit and the Word. She lit the Holy Spirit. She allowed the Spirit to speak. She allowed her ear to listen. She gave ear to what the Spirit was saying because the Bible says the Spirit will convict us of the things that, that, uh, that, that we are missing in our life. It will bring back to remembrance the things He has spoken to us. We le- she le- leaned into the Holy Spirit. She got into the Word because the Word is a lamp unto my feet. It helps me to see who I am. It's a light unto my path. It helps me to understand how to walk it out. She first thing she did is to recognize there was some dark corners still in her life where the coin could hide. There were some dark corners of apathy, of complacency, of shame, of being feeling unqualified, of negativity, of doubt. She said, I gotta bring the light into those areas. Because that's where the coin could be. You and I still have some dark places where coins are hiding. Then she swept the house clean. It means she intentionally discerned between what was trash, what was unclean, what was unwanted, and that which the groom identified as valuable. Can I just tell you, sometimes what's in our life isn't trash. Sometimes it is. It needs to just go. Sometimes it's just clutter. I think most Christians are filled with clutter. Clutter from a broken past, clutter from dreams that are unfulfilled, clutter from a need to achieve in our jobs, clutter from trying to keep up with our kids, clutter with trying to keep up with the Jones, clutter, clutter. Sometimes it's not even trash. We just got clutter, and it clutters up our time, and it clutters up our emotions. We've got things that clutter up our mind. I know my wife, my wife always calls my clutter Kyle Piles. Because I got a little pop. Now, some of it's probably trash, but to be honest, some of it's just clutter. Do you know what it does? It decreases my capacity. When I got stuff to clutter up my emotions, it it decreases my capacity to be patient with others. When I get cluttered up, come on, somebody, with my time, it it limits my capacity to share myself with other people. When I get cluttered up with doubt, Come on, we're being focused on the negative that's happening around me. It actually decreases my capacity for faith. Can I really encourage you? Maybe what's really hindering our lives is not that we're filled with trash, but we've cluttered our life with things that the groom says are not valuable. And then the Bible says she sought diligently. That Greek word means to seek with passion and energy and intentionality. She sought it. She didn't sit back. Can you imagine if she was sitting there and one of her friends rolled up and she noticed that one of her coins was missing and her friend says, hey, one of your coins missing. She's like, yeah, I know. She's like, you're not going to look for it? No. What's the big deal? Didn't your fiance give that to you? Yeah, it's not a big deal. What do you think your friend would think about you and your love towards your fiancé? 
She got rid of the darkness. She identified what was and wasn't valuable, and she went after it. She didn't sit. She sought. I wonder what it would mean if in this generation of church, we had a spirit of discovery. What would it release inside of us? What could we find out about God, about loving others, about the king and the kingdom that we don't know right now? Because I think it's something, the truth is I think it's something desperately missing in our modern discipleship. In modern, the spirit of wanting to know more about who God really is. And I think the issue is we've replaced the spirit of discovery with the desire to attain. To attain a thing, I just want to get the coin back. No, 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 no. I want to discover the coin. Get, get the thing back. Attain a reward, a place, a position, a blessing, a breakthrough, a title, an accolade, a pat on the back, an attaboy. But the spirit of attaining is easily manipulated by the enemy because it fits right in his wheelhouse. Isn't this actually what he's done? Look, like attracts like. Isaiah 14, 13 says this about the enemy that is in our life all the time. He said inside of himself, I will attain the throne of God. I will attain his place. I'm going to take it for myself. And when we allow him to shift our spirit from a spirit of discovering God to attaining something from God, it takes our eyes off discovering who he is or what he wants to reveal and places on our, our desire on what he has rather than who he is. Isn't that what happens in Genesis 37? You remember the story of, uh, of Joseph and the coat of many colors that his daddy gives him? He gets this coat. He has this dream. Everybody's going to bow down to him. He's going to have this great success. His brothers get jealous. The Bible says they beat him up, throw him in a pit, and attain, take his coat of many colors. Joseph's brothers thought by attaining the coat, uh, his robe, they would attain the father's favor. But the journey for Joseph was not in attaining the coat of many colors, but in discovering who God was in the midst of the process. That's why later on, when he actually comes and he confronts them, he actually says to them, I want you to know, you didn't bring me here to Egypt, even though you sold me into slavery. You didn't bring me. God brought me here. God, he, got a, he discovered who God was in the journey. He discovered who God, what, what God had for him in this life. The power of that journey was not simply in Joseph attaining the position of favor that Pharaoh gave him, but discovering the God of favor despite what he faced along the journey. Man, so often we'll get to the position. How many of us know we can attain the position of favor without even growing with the God of favor? Because we are seeking to attain rather than having a spirit to discover. And the reality is in so doing we've missed and lost the spirit of discovery. At looking at the coin and saying, what does this mean? Looking at my time and the people in my life and the gifts that God has said and given me and said, what does this mean? What does it tell me about my groom's love for me? We've missed the joy of discovering why it was giving and what it could do if we steward it well and who God will show himself to be if we use it that way. Do you remember that these coins were given as part of the covenant? That's what this is about. It's not just to meet the needs of the bride, but it's the covenant that reveals the groom's desire 
to bless the bride. And the spirit of discovery is such a kingdom truth. It's such a result of Jesus' walk with us because it's who he is. If you read the Gospels, Jesus is constantly talking about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. We see it in things like Matthew 13. When he's telling the parables about the, 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 the man who, who is seeking, he goes into a, a field, he finds the hidden treasure in the field, and what does he do after he finds it? He goes out and sells everything and buys the field. The man who's seeking out a pearl of great price, he finds it, and when he founds it after seeking for it, he does whatever he has to do to go and to attain it. Jesus says this, that is what the kingdom is all about. And when we lose the sense of discovery, we lose the sense, the desire, the drive. We, we, we replace it with hope or a wish or a belief for something. I'm just going to, I'm hoping it kind of works. I'm believing for it maybe. But when is the last time we sought him to simply understand him? To understand why he gave us these amazing coins. Whether we think that they're gold or silver or tin, and maybe some of them are. But what I know is that each gift, each coin that Jesus has given us, has a reason and a purpose that is focused in the kingdom. That's why Ephesians 4.12 says that the gifts that come out of the church were given for perfecting the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come into unity in faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. My friends, when we allow the coin, when we sit and don't seek the coin, it's, it's not that others will just miss out on Jesus or that sickness will just simply go unhealed. Or that sorrow will be grieved alone or that people will die hungry or lonely. It's that you and I are going to miss an opportunity to discover more about who Jesus is and to let him know he is worth discovering to us. It's saying to him, you're worth it to me. You're worth, you are worth discovering more. Not knowing more about, not memorizing more about. Not, not, not politicizing more about, not social media posting about, knowing, discovering, I don't know you enough, Jesus. Yes. Come on, when's the last time we read the word? Not to try to understand how to be better or do better, but to simply discover more about the majesty of our king. I think the challenge for us is this seeking after the lost coin by the woman was not simply an emotional exercise or an intellectual exercise. There was an action behind it. It wasn't just the belief that she found, uh, that she would find the coin or that the coin was valuable. She put action behind seeking it. And I think this is where we struggle in our modern age. We live in the illusion, especially in the generations around us right now, that knowing and believing something is wrong puts us on the right side of the road. If I post about it, if I tweet about it, if I stand up and say I believe it's wrong, it puts us on the right side of the road. No. In order to get on the right side of the road, you've got to cross the road. In order to get on the right side of the road, you've got to cross the road. You have to get up and walk across. It's not enough to know prejudice is wrong. It's not enough to know that maybe there's something inside of us that is prejudicial. 
And knowing that that prejudice is wrong, there's a change that has to happen in us. It's not just saying somebody's life matters. It's putting ourselves in a position where their life does matter. Oh, I, 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 mm. Knowing and believing is not the same thing as faith. Faith crosses the road. There are a lot of people who believe Jesus existed. There are a lot of people who know he died on the cross, but they've never crossed the road of faith. It was not even in the agreement that she should honor the groom, what the groom had given her. There's action to it. There's an action in finding the lost sheep. There's an action in using our abilities we have in our hand and in our life to seek out what was lost, the things that Jesus identifies as lost. There's an action to building a house and supplying a house in such a way that when prodigal sons and daughters come back, when this generation returns to the house of God, they will easily be embraced and restored. Like so many of us here today who were prodigal children who were afraid to walk back into church, but when we finally walked back into church, we were not just embraced by God, we were embraced by the gifts of people. We were embraced by a youth ministry. We were embraced by kids' church. We were embraced by somebody at the door who shook our, shook our hands or someone who led worship or someone who invited us out to lunch after church or someone who brought us along to our discipleship group to learn how to walk this thing out. That is, my friends, putting feet to this. That is crossing the road. That is seeking something. They were actions that not only found the lost things but keep the lost things from being lost again. I don't want the prodigal children to come home and then go back out. Come on, somebody. I don't want to keep having to find the lost coins. I want to learn how to not lose them any longer. I don't want the sheep to always have to fall off a cliff for me to go find them. I want to, per- I want to start to put stuff in my life that reveals that early on. I need an early warning to take. Mm. I need some sonar. I need some radar. I need some early detection moments in my life. Do you realize what Jesus did? In John 18, the Bible says, as he's getting ready to be arrested, he's in the garden, and the guards come to take him away, and he surrenders himself. He surrenders himself. And verse 9 says this, I'm surrendering myself so that what I said is true, that not one person that is mine will be lost. There is self-surrender that is required for things in our life that were once lost to stay found. There is surrender. Here's what I know. When the bride found what was lost, there was an effect in the whole community. When we seek the coin that he's given us, and we put it into action, there will be a gathering that wasn't there before, an atmosphere that changes people, a stirring in the spiritual world that we could not produce by sitting in a service. I love the moment. Come on, in Matthew 21, Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on the back of a little donkey. Come on, and we know the story, what happens. People start to take off their cloaks. That means their identity. The cloak in the Bible symbolizes identity. They took off what they identified with, who they thought they 
they were, who they thought they had to be, and they laid it down in submission before Jesus. Then they started to rise and praise him. Then they began to pronounce to the whole world, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom of God, hallelujah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And do you know what the Bible says? It says in that moment, the whole city was stirred. I don't know about you. Come on, somebody. We, I, I want my city to be stirred. I want my kids to be stirred. I want this generation to be stirred, our neighbors to be stirred. But we are waiting for God to stir our city. We're waiting for God to stir our city, and then we'll praise him. Then we'll surrender. Then we'll seek him. But when we walk with him, what he leads us into is a stirring. It's a stirring. It's time to get stirred up. Not just emotionally stirred up. Not just inspirationally stirred up. I'm talking about spiritually stirred and putting something into action and realizing the coin has been lost and laying under the couch for too long. Why? Because there's a time attached to that thing. There's people attached to that thing. There's a purpose and reason that's attached to that thing. And every day it stays lost, so do people. The truth is, if we come back to the spirit of discovery, we will find the rare qualities and mysteries of Jesus. We will discover the depths of grace and love that we are capable of when we position ourselves to give that away to other people. We will discover the incredible power of the Holy Spirit when you and I take the chance to lay hands on people and pray for them to get healed. We will, ju we will discover just how much he is standing by our side and fighting in the supernatural for us when we take the risk of sharing our faith with the lost sheep, telling our friends about the gospel of Jesus. These, my friends, are the rare things that are meant to be discovered. Just how much he shows up when we actually allow him to walk with us and to lead, him, and to lead us, it's worth discovering. Because there is a purpose and a reason for the beautiful coins he's given us. You know, one of my greatest regrets in my life, and I know this probably sounds silly, but is that I lost the Mont Blanc pen that Danielle gave me as my wedding gift. I don't regret it because I loved it because it was a Mont Blanc. I loved it because she gave it to me. I took it everywhere with me, man. I, I wrote my, when I went to seminary, I was writing notes, my notes with it. I took it to the office and I wrote sermons on it. I, I had it with me everywhere. I remember I put it in my bag and just one day, by chance, I misplaced it. My friends, I've had a thousand, I've had 10,000 pens since that moment. The value wasn't in a pen, the ability to take a note, the ability to write a sermon with it. The value was in who gave it to me. And I lost it. And it breaks my heart, even today. It's the same way with the value of the gift that Jesus gives us. Whether that gift is prophecy or administration or hospitality or, generation, uh, or, or generosity or healing or faith or the interpretation of tongues. No matter what the gift is, the value of that gift should be found in the one who gave it to us. And when we use it, we not only honor him, we remember him. Every time I use that pen, no matter where, I was thinking about Danielle. 
how beautiful. There's things that I forgot, but when I was using the pen, I remembered. I remembered that kiss. I remembered that note. I remembered that hug. I remembered that sweet word. She said, I remembered. There's something about when you and I use the gift, the pen that God put in our hands, that it stirs things back to remembrance. That we, oh, I remember how faithful he is in the land of the living. I remember he showed up. I remember he's good. Because our soul says he's not. Our soul says trust yourself. This world says go on your own achievement. The devil says attain success. And Jesus says know me, 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 know me. Know me. One of the most pressing questions, my friends, you and I will ever face is in the parable after the one we looked at last week. The parable of the talents. And the question is simply this. The master is away for a long time and the Bible says he comes back to settle accounts. And the question all of us are going to need to face is this. What did you do with the coins I gave you? What did you do? This isn't a condemnation moment. See, when I grew up, that is preached as this. What did you do with the coin I gave you? It's not a condemnation moment. Fiance, do you know how much I love you? That's why I gave you the coin. I wanted you to wear it because I wanted you to remember. I'll never leave you. Even when I'm away, I'm still there. I want you not to lose sight of our love even when you're lonely at night because I want you to remember and look at the coins I gave you and remember who I am. And even though you don't see my face right now, you can see my love right now. But every time we allow a coin to drop and fall into the couch, we are losing a little bit more of his face, a little bit more of the reminder of his goodness. A little bit more of the urge to rely on ourselves rather than the goodness of God in the land of the living. What is your wooden spoon? Have you misplaced it or stopped using it? What is your gift or your coin that our groom has given to you to reveal his heart to you? Maybe the heart that you still have not discovered Will we continue to sit and let the value of the, of the coin be lost? Or will we light the lamp? Will we sweep the dirt? And will we seek after all that the king has provided for us? Church is open to sit and receive every Sunday. And I'll never tell you not to come and sit and receive. But I will tell you that that is only part of what you were designed to be. And you will always feel empty. And you'll always feel like something's missing. And you will never fully be satisfied in your spirit until you not only sit, but you seek. Every person the sound of my voice has been given a coin 
and coins and gifts from God. They were never meant to just be worn as jewelry. They were meant to be used for his kingdom. Your choice. Will you sit or will you seek? Let's pray. What could we discover if we would seek? What would we discover if we would seek? Oh, hallelujah. What a promise we started this sermon out with. Seek and you will find. I don't know what darkness has convinced you that that coin is better left under the couch, under the bed, behind the banister. But it's a lie. When we bring things that are in darkness into the light, God sets it free. Maybe we've just cluttered our lives with so much other stuff that we don't even think we have time to seek the coin that's lost. Oh, how the devil has deceived us. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Now seek first the kingdom of God above all things. This is not about doing better or being better. It's about seeking the majesty, the unfathomable riches, the unfathomable grace, the deepest sense of love, the mystery of Jesus. What could our lives look like? What could family look like? What could our neighborhood look like? What could this church look like? What could our community of faith look like? If we all decide to light the lamp, sweep the house, find the coin, and put it into action. <laughs> the impossible becomes possible. Maybe you're here today, and the very first thing that needs to take place Maybe today you can identify as a prodigal son or daughter. Maybe today you realize that although maybe you've heard about God or maybe even been at church before, that if you're honest, you're far way away from him. What I love about the Father is that he doesn't blame us for being away from him. He, he just simply opens up his arms and says, come home. He doesn't make the son pay to come home. He doesn't make, he doesn't say you made your bed and now lie in it. He simply opens up his arms with grace, embraces him in grace, brings him in and feeds him for free, clothes him for free, restores him for free because the gift of salvation is free because Jesus Christ already paid for your freedom. So there's no reason to stay where you are. There's no reason to stay away from God. There's no fear of being condemned. Now, just run to him. Just come back. Even if you have to walk or crawl or limp or drag yourself down the road to get back to God, the moment he sees you turn around, he is running to you. That's what this moment is. Don't stay away. Come home today. 
This is the moment to say yes to Jesus. All in. I'm all in. I'm all in, Jesus. I don't even know what that all means, but all that I know is that I'm all in with you. We're going to pray in just a moment because this is a free gift. The Bible says if I confess Jesus as Lord with my mouth and believe in my heart, he died and rose again. He did everything I need to get to God, to be forgiven, to be set free, to actually live a life of, of abundance, of blessing, of intimacy with him. That's all I need to do is confess him that today I'll be saved. That's what I'm going to do. That's how easy it is. So we're going to pray. And if you're here today, you can just say, man, Kyle, add me to that prayer. Pray from the bottom of your heart. You're not praying to me. We're praying together. But the Bible says we're two touch something in agreement. The Father does it. I'm going to agree with you. This is your moment. Maybe you've prayed this prayer before, but to be honest, you're far from God. Come home. Daughter, come home. What are you waiting for? Come home. Son, come home. What you're living in ain't worth it. The future it holds for you is death. But Jesus will bring life and life more abundantly. Come home. Let's just pray. Just say, dear Lord Jesus, here I am today. I've come to give you all my life. I'm holding nothing back. I'm all in. I'm asking you, Jesus, to be the Lord and Savior of my life. You are now my king. I surrender all. Forgive me of all my sin. Cleanse me of everything I've done wrong. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. <laughs> Help me to walk this life for your glory and your glory alone. I know now that my God is alive and living. And I choose to serve him with everything I've got. In Jesus' name. Amen, and amen, and amen, and amen. Can we give God some glory for choices that were made today, lives that were surrendered? Oh, Jesus. My friends, if you prayed that prayer today, we are truly excited. The Bible says that right now you gave heaven a reason to party. All the angels in heaven are celebrating right now because of you. We want to celebrate with you as well. Pastor Rick right over here is going to be back here at one of these tables. We have a free book to give to you, let you know how to actually walk this thing out. Can I really encourage you, if this is your church and you haven't joined Forged or Shoulder to Shoulder, our discipleship groups, come on out and be a part of that. Go to the link tree, sign up, register. You don't have, it's not about be, you have to be a great disciple. It's about how to actually be discipled. None of us are great disciples, but we need each other in order to walk out and know a great God. Can you just stand with me real quick? I want to encourage you to do one last thing as we get ready to go, and I'm going to pray over us in just a second. But one of our things that we get to do, one of the ways that we respond and put into action and show God that what He has given us is valuable is when we give back what's valuable to us. Our time, our talents, our treasure, our tithe, our testimony, these things are valuable to us. God did not give us empty things, and so it's our honor not to give back to him empty things. 
So that's why it's opportunity for us at the end of service. It's why we put offering at the end. Not because it's the most logistical way to do it, it's not. We put offering at the end so that we can respond, not out of obligation to give to church, but out of celebration of what God has given to us. That's what this is. And yes, you've heard me say, look, we have TKC, we have that auction, we, we need support for that, we, we need support for church. All those things are true. But we don't give out of obligation. We give out of celebration. He freely gave, I freely give. There's a thousand ways to give. It's up there on the screen. You can go to the QR code, use these envelopes. You can put it in those gold kiosks on the way out. You can give online. It's awesome. Freely you've received. Did you receive anything today? I know today was different. I know, look, I know today was different. I know today was different. I'm sorry I lied to you about the spoon. <laughs> I hope some... Italian grandmom stayed a little longer in that sermon to know I didn't break it. The gasp you felt when I broke it should be magnified by the, with the gasp that you feel when we take inventory of what is missing in our lives with Jesus now that we're awake. No condemnation, just encouragement. Seek the kingdom of God with everything you've got and everything else will be added unto you. Woo! What a promise. What a God. Come on, let's pray. Father, we love you. Daddy, I pray that promise of every person here today. I pray that passion to be released inside of us that we must seek first, above, before, everything else, your kingdom. We believe that everything else then will be added, that there will be breakthroughs, that there will be things that were once seemingly impossible, things that will become possible, that cities and neighborhoods and co-workers that once were not stirred will become stirred. Daddy, I pray that you will help us to know your goodness in the land of the living, but even more that you will help us know who you are that is good while we are still living. Watch over, protect, bless, keep in peace each and every man and woman in this place. We love you and we praise you. Forgive us for not seeking you. Forgive us for sitting when we should be seeking, for receiving when we should be giving, for being complacent when we should be running. But we choose to seek you now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. I'll see you this week. Transform this world one life at a time.